0: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for the Inc Live USC 261 preview show. My name is Carl Bimridge, and I am joined by a very special guest today, stepping in on short notice as he did back in January. It is John Kelly. John, thank you very much for joining us. Unfortunately, John Marching couldn't be here. I'm sure you will be a more than serviceable replacement.
1: Yeah. Appreciate you having me back on. Uh, you know, I'm like I'm like one of these uh, short notice replacement UFC fighters. You know, John had to to pull out due to injury or whatever. And I am I was just waiting on the call from Uncle Dana, from Uncle Carl and uh, <laughs> happy to be back here. So excited to talk UFC 261 with you.
0: You are the Kevin Kroom of INC Live. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and i do want to say a big thank you to everybody who has joined us once again for these preview shows it is of course a brand new channel anything involving sort of any two camera stuff involving previews uh post-fight reactions we hope to get the one for whitaker versus gaslam coming up in just a few hours time um we're also hoping to get some fight interviews so any sort of support that you can give us will be greatly appreciated so please like share subscribe to the channel uh, also check out john martian's previews that'll be coming off for 261 later on in the week and john if anybody wants to know what you'll be getting up to where's the best place to go
1: yeah you could always find me on twitter at john kelly dfs uh, obviously me and jonah Schiffman run the uh, mma product over at ftndaily.com ftnbets.com so feel free to check that out we're usually running some sort of uh, promotional deal for the big pay-per-view card. So I'm sure we'll have something. So if you follow us on Twitter, you'll be able to see
0: that and hopefully get a discount if you're interested in signing up. And you've also chosen a very good card that you're going to be breaking down as well, UFC 261. It's been a massive year so far for the UFC. And this is just another cherry on top of that cake right now. We're going to be back in front of a live crowd, Jacksonville, Florida, 18,000 people expected for this one we'll discuss that in a little bit more detail but just on the whole though what's your opinion of the UFC being so far in 2021 we've had a lot of title fights so far uh, a big event just a month ago with UFC 259 there's real you can feel there's a real sort of changing of the guard as well when it comes to this sport because obviously we've had we've had Stipe get knocked out we've got a new champion with Francis Ngannou Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. That trilogy fight is going to be sorted out soon enough. It really does feel like an exciting time to be a UFC fan. It reminds me a little bit of 2016.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I always think it's exciting to be a UFC fan. You know, obviously with the ESPN recent deal uh, last year, things are ramping up now. They got the ABC going on. So there's definitely more people coming into the sport, which I think is great. Um, but also, like you mentioned, there's just been a lot of, of changes in multiple divisions. You know, obviously I I don't know if it's just like, it it seems like I'm always on the, the other end of the bets, but it seems like there's been more volatility in some of these uh, main events. You mentioned the Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, uh, Stipe uh, Francis more recently. There's just been a lot of, of uh, blades, Derek Lewis. That one was surprising to me. There's been a lot of volatility, I think between uh, some of these uh, bigger fights. So I think it's been interesting. I think there's more, Uh, more changes to come and I'm excited about it. We got a lot of fun cards uh, down the pipe here coming into the summer months and obviously the big pay-per-view in Jacksonville, like you mentioned this weekend. So
0: super excited. And we need to talk about that elephant in the room because for the first time since March of 2020, we're going to be having an event in front of a live crowd. We're obviously not going to touch on some of the obvious reasons why we haven't been having crowds in place, but from your personal perspective, Are the UFC making the right option by choosing to have a full, fully attended crowd? Because this is the first time that any company in any sport are choosing to go down this path. Yes, we have had crowds for things like WrestleMania, the NFL had a crowd, but it was reduced attendance. We've got a full 18,000 people in Jacksonville. Is this the right call from the UFC?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say, man. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm some sort of scientist or doctor or anything. But, um, you know, I, I think it should just be up to the people, whatever they want to do. Like if the UFC and the state of Florida is, is good with these events, then I think it's up to the 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 people what they decide if they feel it's it's, you know, too risky, then stay at home and watch it on TV like everyone else. And if you want to go um, or a lot of, a lot of people are vaccinated nowadays too. So, um, I think that's definitely played a role in, in getting crowds back at events. So I don't know what, like the sort of protocol, if there is any, um, going on, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think, you know, if people let people do what they want to do, that's,
0: that's their prerogative, you know? I will say that I do have some concerns from my own personal perspective, but the UFC's management of this sort of covid era of the sport has been very good i think the shows that they've run in the apex have been uh very enjoyable obviously fight island was a big success and a lot of people wrote that off didn't think that was going to work so i do have them the confidence to make this work and i think as well if they had to choose an event which was worthy of coming back for triple title fight one of the most eagerly anticipated women's matches of all time we'll get to that one obviously later on in the show. It's gonna be interesting. And I think as well, as much as I have enjoyed the shows at the Apex, I think when it comes to title fights, you need to have that big match atmosphere. And I think a crowd is going to provide that.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And and we've had some some good title fights, even with the no crowds, but you hit on the big thing. It's like the crowd just gives it that extra boost, like that extra energy in the atmosphere that that's what I get excited about as a fan. I know multiple fighters have talked about that as well. So I definitely expect this to be um, you know, very, very exciting, you know, to hear fans for the first time in a while. I'm sure the fighters are going to be gassed up about it. I know a lot of us um a lot of us fans are
0: are excited about it as well. So can't wait. And it does make me feel a little bit sorry for the the champions who have to fight without a crowd door. Like I think about someone like say Like, off the top of my head, like Felicia Spencer, for example. Like, that's pretty much her only chance to ever be a UFC champion. And in her head, she's probably thinking, like, hey, it's going to be 20,000 people. They're all going to be cheering me on. I've worked hard for this occasion. And instead of doing it in front of, like, a big arena, it's in front. It's, like, in the warehouse in Las Vegas in front of a few camera people.
1: Yeah, you know, stuff like that is is very subjective. You know, you can't really quantify who it helps, who it doesn't help. But I think there's definitely something to it. You know, you mentioned the Felicia, Felicia Spencer. Um, this wasn't obviously for a title fight, but a fighter that specifically jumps out to me is Molly McCann. She is notoriously known for loving mm. that crowd noise and, and feeding off that energy. And I totally get it as a former athlete myself. I'm I'm 30 and washed up now. But when I used to play basketball back in the day, you know, I was similar to that. You know, when there's a big student section or something like that and and everybody's into the game, it just it makes you get up a little bit more. So I definitely get it from an athlete's perspective. But it's just one of those things where, you know, it's it, it's impossible to know who it's going to help, how much it's going to help them that much. Um, but I'm sure that the, the vast majority of them are excited to have some some fans back in the arena.
0: And those first fighters who will be joining us on the, in front of a capacity crowd will be Jamie Simmons and Johnny Munoz. And that will kick off the prelim section of this card. So we've got a graphic up on our screen right now. Uh, some of the fights that really stand out for me in terms of the prelims. As good as this main card is, I think the prelims maybe lack a little bit. Uh, there are a couple of fights that do stand out for me. The first one is the prelim headliner. Alex Oliveira taking on Randy Brown. And if there is a division, in my opinion which almost guaranteed to deliver outside of the top 15 it is the walt weights because you've got people like olivera uh, gunny nelson nicole price some very entertaining fighters in that weight class and i think olivera and randy brown could well be that sort of barn burning fight to really hype people up ready for the main card
1: yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that. You know, uh, Cowboy Oliveira, he's he's a tough guy to trust because you never really know what version you're going to get. He's also not a very good round winner, so he, a lot of times he's losing fights until he finds a finish. And I think that's kind of what's going to happen here. You know, he, he's probably going to try and rebound off the first-round submission loss to Shavkat Rachmanov back at UFC 254. But I'm, I'm not sure how much success he's going to have um, against Randy Brown. I think Randy Brown... Is a pretty decent striker. I think he's, you know, he's got some knockout power. He's pretty dangerous on the feet. Um, obviously, he's coming off a knockout loss himself. So there are a little bit of dur- durability concerns. Uh, Vicente Luque, more recently, Nico Price back in the day. Um, so yeah, I think this is probably a decent test for him here uh, against Alex Oliveira, but it's just one that it's tough for me to have a strong lean. I think the line's about right just because uh cowboy oliveira it's just so so difficult for me to know what version we're going to get so i could see this one like you said kind of being a back and forth affair um high action I, i expect to be high action especially more recently cowboy oliveira seems to uh to fight at a higher pace than uh than older fights back in the day so should be a fun one
0: another interesting inclusion on the espn portion of the card tristan connolly back in action for the first time in a long while He spent a lot of time out with injuries. He was involved in a car accident. Um, This is only going to be his second fight in the UFC, but his first fight, for anybody who might remember this, came in front of his home Canadian crowd. He took on Michel Pereira on short notice. This was back when Pereira was like somersaulting and doing all sorts of capoeira nonsense. Gassed himself out, and Connolly took really one of the great feel-good wins of 2018. He's going to be back in action against Pat Sabatini.
1: Yeah, this is one. You know, Pat Sabatini. I, I'm excited about him. I think he's an exciting prospect. You know, I kind of think of him as like the Sean Brady light, uh, a poor man's Sean Brady, just because there's a lot of similarities between the two. Uh, they both train out of Henzo Gracie in Philadelphia, represent PA. Uh, but Pat Sabatini's just like a super tough dude. Like you know, he he is. I respect the people he's fought on the regional scene. Uh, more so than the people Tristan Connolly has fought on the regional scene. Uh, Pat Sabatini is also a black belt as well. I know Connolly has the black belt going for him, but I actually favor Sabatini's grappling. I think he's more dangerous when he gets the fight to the ground, uh, training with guys like. Sean Brady, Jared Gordon, and guys in in Henzo Gracie. I just respect his ground game a little bit more. I think he's a little bit more dangerous there. But on the feet, I think he's actually the better striker as well. Um, I think, you know, you hit on the Michelle Pereira fight with Tristan Connolly. I think that fight was more about uh, Michelle Pereira's lack of fight IQ and gas tank issues. You know, he's doing. Uh, backflips like into guard, like in the, like in just using all that explosive energy, typical Michelle Pareda stuff. But like you said, this was when it was even, uh, you know, he's he's toned it down a little bit since then, which is good for his long-term future with the UFC. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that was a great story for Tristan Connolly, but it's not something that I think you can bank on moving forward. Like I think Sabatini probably has most of the advantages in this matchup. I think he's a better striker. I think he'll throw in more volume. And like I said, I think the wrestling and grappling tends to lean in his favor as well. The only thing I'll say about Sabatini is he is a little bit hittable on the feet. Um, He throws a lot of like naked leg kicks that are leave leave him open to being countered. I just don't think Tristan Connolly will be able to take advantage. So I think the line's about right. Sabatini minus 225 favorite. Maybe even a little bit wide because Tristan Connolly, you know, he is a veteran. He's been around um, but yeah, I definitely lean Sabatini.
0: A lot of Chinese fighters as well on the main card making their uh, debut. We've got, um, I hope I pronounced some of these right. Aori Qi Lang, uh, Rong Zhu and Na Liang all making their UFC debuts are all going to be on the fight pass portion of the prelims. Bearing in mind, of course, Wei Li is going to be in the co-main. It makes sense for the UFC to introduce some of these fighters to maybe mainstream audiences. Um, China has really become a real hotspot for the UFC. We are seeing a lot of fighters coming from that region. Are there anybody out there who you think maybe could match Wei Li in terms of their success?
1: That's a tough ask. I, I think Wiley is like, I mean, she's so great. It's hard to argue. You know, we'll get into that matchup here in a little bit, but... I mean to be able to match what she's done is is almost impossible. Not just for a Chinese prospect, but you know any up and coming prospect. It's it's going to be difficult to reach that level. Um, it it's it's it should be fun though. Like there are a couple. Uh, fighters you mentioned, like um, Zhu Rong, a lot of first-round finishes, um, Kylian Aori, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right either, um, another guy with a decent amount of finishing on his record. It's just one of those things where I think the level of competition leaves a little bit more to be desired, so I don't know if it'll translate necessarily to the UFC level, but I think it'll at least be entertaining for for these lower-level matchups, so it should be fun.
0: Yeah, one thing I can say is if you look at a lot of the Chinese fighters which are in the UFC, they are nearly always good value for money. Very entertaining fighters. So we're going to start off by talking about the first fight on the main card, and we are going to the light heavyweight division. It is the 6th seed Anthony Smith taking on the 13th seed Jimmy Crute. And I'm going to start off this by, talking, by answering a question which might sound a bit strange, but it's still one I'm not 100% sure I know the answer to. Is Anthony Smith actually a good light heavyweight? Because you look at the guy's record since he moved to this weight class. He's beaten uh, Volkan Ustemeyer, Alexander Gustafsson. He's fought for the light heavyweight title against John Jones. He's got a great run of records. He's beaten Rashad Evans and Shogun. But nearly all of these wins have some sort of asterisk next to them. Because he was losing against Volkan and Gus before he pulled out those submissions. He, yes, he beat Rashad and Shogun, but they were well past their best. And mixed in with those, you've got very dominant losses, as we saw against Glover, Rakic, John Jones himself. And even though, yes, he got that win against Devon Clark, it was short notice, main event, Devon was unranked at the time, and Devon Clark does a work in progress. There's a lot of things I like about Devon Clark, but outside of wrestling, he's very vulnerable, and Anthony Smith took advantage of that. So, Again, we go into a light heavyweight fight, but we're not really entirely sure if Anthony Smith is an elite level fighter.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's it's something that I think a lot of people wrestle with because it's like he's he's a veteran. He's been in there with the best of the light heavyweight division. He's even looked decent at times against some of the best. Uh, you know, obviously nobody was expecting him to submit Alexander Gustafsson when that happened. Um, but it's it's just one of those things where I think it comes down to he's not a good round winner but he's an opportunistic finisher so he might be losing minutes until he lands a big knockout shot or until he finds the back and and gets a choke like, he's just not somebody that you can confidently back because he's typically going to be losing those minutes. He's low volume on the feet. So while he does have knockout power, he's not going to throw in volume. So he's usually getting outpointed, and he's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but we don't see him grapple very often. And he almost never looks for takedowns. So it's just not good from a statistics standpoint uh, of just winning minutes. And in this matchup, against Jimmy Crute, who's a fast starter, typically likes to put a pace on his opponents, uh, a couple first-round finishes. I like Jimmy Crute. I think he's an exciting prospect. This is obviously a step up in competition for him here. But but it, like you said, it's tough to gauge where exactly Anthony Smith is because I, I think Jimmy Crute's the much better round winner in this matchup. It's just a matter of can he avoid, you know, eating a big shot on the feet or losing the grappling exchanges. And I actually think he'll come out favorable in those grappling exchanges i think he's going to come out and and put a pace on anthony smith a pace that anthony smith won't be able to match we've seen him when he tries to come out and and fight at a higher pace he gases out heavy like that glover Teixeira fight comes to mind so i think if he tries to match crew's pace here i think it's going to be to his own detriment and i think crew
0: probably finishes him here but i know
1: you're high on jimmy crew as well so i'll let you speak to it but give me jimmy crew
0: in this matchup uh, definitely so. Um, you mentioned as well that I'm a big fan of Jimmy Crute. I think that I'm really excited about light heavyweights changing of the guard. Because in the past few years, you've seen people like Rakic, Ankelaev, Yiri come to the fore. But not many people are talking about Jimmy Crute. And when you look at what the guy's been doing in the UFC so far, yes, he had that setback against Misha Serkinov, but made easy work of Samalvi. Um, I'll wrestle Paul Craig and we all know how good of a grappler Paul Craig is. Um, I think what he has, which a lot of people don't have in this division, he is a very strong, powerful wrestler. He's persistent with his takedowns. We saw that against Ola Shechik, where every time that Mikhail was trying to get back to his feet, Jimmy was just chucking him down again. Uh, good use of power submissions. He loves that Chimura. I think probably he has some of the best power submissions in the division, um, He's powerful in the pocket, likes to strike heavy. Um, So I think if it does become a clinch battle, bearing in mind what Anthony Smith can do with his knees and elbows, that could be very interesting to see. Um, Another thing which I I sort of favor when it comes to Crude as well, leg kicks. When he fought uh, Bouchaskas in his most recent fight, he limited a lot of his movement with leg kicks. And as we've seen with Anthony Smith before, a lot of times he doesn't deal with leg kicks very well. So I think that could be something that Crude exploits. In terms of Anthony Smith, I think you sort of touched on something there. I think one of the big problems with Anthony Smith is he fights to his opponent's level. So if he's facing someone who maybe is a bit lower level, he sort of like, he takes a bit of time before he realizes, hey, hang on a minute, this guy's got nothing for me. And that's when we see sort of the third round Anthony Smith that came from behind to beat uh, Hector Lombard, came from behind to beat Andrew Sanchez back when he was a middleweight. If he fights with confidence, and we've seen Anthony Smith fight with confidence, I thought the Smith that we saw against Shogun was a guy who was fearless, had nothing to lose. And that's when, in my opinion, you see the best Anthony Smith.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. And you bring up a really interesting point about the late kicks because that's something I could, I definitely agree. I think he could have success doing against Anthony Smith. And the last thing I'll say about Jimmy Crude is like, it's so difficult not to not to like this guy like obviously mm-hmm. we both like him. we're speaking highly about him. but like if you read just about like you know t- spending his training camp living in a van with his dog next to the gym just so he can put in extra hours and doesn't have to commute like stuff like that like he legitimately wants it. he's hungry. For uh, moving up in the rankings, and then on the flip side, it's like Anthony Smith. You know, we talked about it already. He's he's been there and he's done that, and he's had main events and he's fought John Jones. And and it's just one of those things, like you said, it's probably a changing of the guard here. And I, and give me the young and up and coming prospect that I think is more hungrier and probably has
0: a better skill set at this point in his career. I think it's a very likable fight to kick off the main card as well because yeah, Jimmy Crew comes across like a really nice block. But part of Anthony Smith's appeal has always been that he's the everyman underdog. He saw that he's the Rocky Balboa. He's just a normal guy from Nebraska who took the opportunities when they came and, as we saw when he fought John Jones, got the opportunity of a lifetime. If he was a bit more selfish, if he was a bit more selfish, he would have been a champion. Yep. Yeah. It would have got all the and Sterling grief that would have come with that, though. <laughs> Where do you personally stand on that? Like, who, who's in the right or who's in the wrong when it comes to the sort of kneeing a downed opponent sort of approach? Because you had Smith, who saw himself better than to try and take the win, and then you got Al who a lot of people still believe he sort of bought it a bit to try and get himself the belt.
1: Yeah, you know, stuff like that, it's so hard to know, right? Like, it's it's just impossible for us, like, sitting on our couch to be like, oh, that knee to the face didn't hurt, you know? Like, it's it's just tough to, to sort of play that game. You know, obviously, it's not what we want to see. We don't want to see any fighter win in that aspect, but especially to win a belt like that is... You know, I'm sure Aljo didn't want to win the belt like that either, as much as people might think he did. Um, I just think those are situations where we probably need to run it back no matter what. I think most people thought Pewter yon was pretty dominant in that matchup. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping they run it back at some point, but we'll see, you know, because based on their their Twitter interactions, I don't know if that's going to happen. It seems like Aljo might be a little nervous for the, uh, the rematch there. How do you...
0: Where do you think this fight's going to play out between Smith and Crew? Because we talked about them. They're both pretty decent all-rounders. They both carry big power striking. They're also capable of grappling when it comes to it. Do you think it's going to be a striking match? Do you think it's going to be a wrestling match? Where, where do you see this playing out? I think,
1: I think it's going to play out in both areas. I think early on, in like typical Jimmy Crew style, he's going to start on the feet and probably land a couple big shots just to work his way into the clinch or dive in on a double leg and and you know, I mentioned the takedown defense of Smith. I don't think he's gonna be able to resist those takedowns. And I don't even know if he'll want to, because you know, he he might just be like, all right, let's grapple kid and and see what happens. And I just favor Kruit in those scenarios.
0: So I think it'll I think we'll get a little bit of both to answer your question. I think the Rockage fight has been a big clue to how is gonna approach this because we saw a big power wrestler in Rockage. Uh, dominate anthony smith he had nothing for him in those three rounds and i think i think even though the temptation of trying to go for a knockout win might be great for jimmy crude i think considering how important a fight this could be i mean he's going to be right in the mix for like a one or two fights away from a title fight if he gets through this one i can see jimmy crude trying to go grapple heavy so i'm going to pick crude to win this one unanimous decision He's going to try to go for a submission, but I think Smith's going to be too wily to that. So I'm going to say Kroot unanimous decision.
1: Yeah, I like it. I think in my breakdown, I picked crew by knockout via ground and pound. So I think we have a a similar takeaway for that matchup.
0: And if that does happen, who does Jimmy Crew fight next? Again, as we mentioned before, light heavyweight, so many big, new, exciting contenders.
1: Yeah, that's a really tough question. It's always fun to, to kind of play matchmaker and see see what uh, the UFC is going to do. Um, I, I say make it Krut and Rakic, and then give the winner the loser of the Jan-Glover fight. That's, that's my take.
0: I like that one. So from a couple of fighters who are on their way up to uh, two fighters that may very well be on their way down but still have one last chance to try and get themselves back into the mix in the middleweight division. Uriah Hall takes on Chris Weidman. This is actually a rematch from a fight that took place in 2010. Uh, Uriah Hall at the time was, I believe, 4-0 and he took on a 2-0 Chris Weidman. It was in a small promotion, I believe, in California. Uh, Weidman won that one by unanimous decision and here we are, 11 years later, they're going to run it back.
1: Yeah, Weidman actually won that one by knockout. Oh, knockout, I apologize. Yeah, I watched that this morning on YouTube. It's like a super, um, you know, bad quality. uh, But you can definitely see, you know, Weidman kind of, he tries to land a couple takedowns early. Uriah is good at defending it. Then he lands one, but Uriah gets up. And then he just kind of swarms in and he hits Uriah with like a perfect left hook that, him and then he finishes it on the ground. But, but yeah, you know, I'm not going to put too much weight into that matchup. Like you said, that was like 2010 or something. That was early on in both of their careers. Obviously, Chris Weidman went on to become a champ. Um, You know, Chris Weidman, I'm going to sound harsh, I think, in my breakdown here. And I don't want to come across harsh to him because I do like Chris Weidman. I think he's a legend of the fight game. Um, But one thing that I'm constantly trying to be aware of is when fighters are regressing. And I think that's where Chris Weidman's at in his career. I think the last few fights that he's had, he's looked noticeably slower. The takedown entries are becoming more and more telegraphed. Mm -hmm. The stand-up is becoming a step behind against mostly everybody. Um, So he's just not... Not someone that I, I want to back really in any matchup. And I I kind of went away from that against Amari Akhmadov his last time out just because, you know, I was aware of those concerns about Weidman. But at the same time, I'm like, Akhmadov, like, come on. Like, he should just cruise through that matchup. And he did what he needed to do, but it was kind of a sweat. You know, it was 1-1 going into the third, and he did what he needed to do, but the cardio didn't look good. The stand-up still looked slow, and he's it's just not... You know, I, I don't feel confident in him in any matchup. And going up against Uriah Hall, who we know is dangerous on the feet, and I'm not like a big Uriah Hall guy, but I think without question he's going to have a striking advantage in this matchup. I think he's going to be much faster on the feet. I think he's going to carry more power. And both guys have durability concerns, but I definitely think Weidman has more durability concerns. Obviously his last five losses have all come by knockout. And, you know, I mentioned the the – the uh, telegraphed of the of the mm-hmm. takedown entries and and the slow, plodding nature on the feet now. like It's just not a good matchup for him here. I seriously think Uriah Hall knocks him out. Um, I actually bet this fight a couple weeks ago. I bet it uh, minus 110 for Uriah Hall. It hasn't really moved at all, so you can still get that. But it's a three-unit play for me, so a pretty confident play. And I'm considering adding a little sprinkle on, on Hall by knockout when the props are released as well. So tell me if I'm crazy for having this much confidence in Uriah Hall, who's notoriously not a very trustworthy fighter. Tell me if I'm crazy, Carl.
0: I think there's always going to be concerns about Uriah's grappling, but on the whole, I do agree with you, uh, simply because of what I've seen from Weidman. And I agree with you in regards to the Akhmadov fight. I thought even though he got the job done, it was a very sloppy performance. Um, and there were a lot of concerns, even though he got the win. The big thing that stands out for me, you sort of touched on it in terms of Weidman's takedowns becoming more telegraphed. I did a bit of a binge watch of some of Weidman's fights over the past couple of years, and I watched the Yoel Romero fight, and the big thing that stood out for me was Weidman had a lot of confidence going into that fight. He wasn't afraid to try and grapple with an Olympic silver medalist, and he had a lot of success in that match before Yoel landed that flying knee. And I don't know if it's concerns over his chin. I don't know if it's age. I don't know if it's like a confidence issue. Part of the reason those takedowns are becoming more telegraphed is because maybe he is nervous about his chin. Maybe he is a little bit slow, but he is shooting from a long way out these days. And people are either timing him with uppercuts, like we saw with like Dominic Reyes, when he tried to go shooting in, and Reyes managed to catch him coming in. Or he's choosing not to to go for takedowns and turning into a stand-up fight and getting caught in the same way he did against Jacare. So it's it's a, it's a no-win scenario when it comes to Chris Wyman right now. What I will say in his favour, though, the people who he's been losing to, even recently, have been very good fighters. It's people like Luke Rockhold, Jacare, Romero, Dominic Reyes. He's losing to some very good fighters. So again, it's quite similar to Anthony Smith where... Is he truly shot, or is he just on the wrong end of fighting some top guys?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point, and and like I said, those are things that are kind of tough to really gauge. But I definitely lean towards, especially for Weidman, not necessarily Anthony Smith, but definitely in the Weidman case, I, I do lean towards he's uh, he's closer to shot. You know, both of these guys are thirty six years old, but wideman's, you know, in terms of the fight game. His 36, it looks a lot more rough than Uriah's, in my opinion. Like we've seen him knocked out cold in a couple matchups, you know, and the Dominic Reyes fight, like uh, it, it's just not good. Um, it, it's not good, good knockout losses. It's not good in terms of his his ability to take a punch. Um, I really think the first time Uriah connects clean in this matchup, he could probably put him out. So, so that's my take
0: on this fight. How do you think Uriah's gonna handle the pressure of facing Chris Weidman? Because that's always been a big issue when it's come to Uriah, especially when people expect a lot out of him. A lot of people, obviously, they thought when the Ultimate Fighter 17 was going to happen, he was just going to breeze through after getting that uh, massive knockout against Cella. And then, of course, Kelvin Gastelum outwrestles him. And we've always seen this with Uriah that when the expectations start getting a bit too high, he feels that pressure. But recently, of course, he was in the main event against Anderson Silva. And even though, yes, Anderson was past his prime, you could still feel he was nervous about being in there with Anderson. And it wasn't until that third round when he realized, hey, I'm over this now. I'm going to go forward. And eventually he ended up getting the knockout win. Is this sort of pressure of facing a former champion in a fight you're expected to win, is that going to come to the fore again?
1: Yeah, it definitely could. You know, like like we, we sort of alluded to earlier, he's just not somebody that's super trustworthy. And that's kind of funny to say, because I just said, like, I'm confident and I bet three units on him to win. But it's just one of those things where it's like, he knows what to expect from Chris Weidman here. He's going to shoot takedowns. Like you said, they're going to come from further out. Like I said, they're more telegraphed. He's slower. Like all he has to do is defend takedowns early and, and he probably gets a knockout win. And even though he didn't look exceptional in that Anderson Silva fight, like you said, he he eventually, you know, got the job done. I think that's what happens here. So despite all those concerns with Uriah, I do think he gets the knockout win in this matchup.
0: And if Uriah Hall was to win this matchup, it would be five wins from his past six, only lost against Paulo Costa. So he's starting to build a little bit of a winning streak up here.
1: Yeah, he is. And, and in terms of playing matchmaker again, you know, who do you... Who do you give him after this? I say, you know, at 36 years old, five fight win streak, you got to give him somebody that's up there. You know, Kelvin Gastelum looked decent, even though Robert Whitaker looked phenomenal last night. Uh, maybe that's a name you throw around. Uh, maybe um, you know, seeing them run it back, or or give him somebody else that's exciting, up and coming in the in the uh, in the division as well. So I I don't know. What do you think? Who would you give him if he wins this fight on Saturday?
0: Gastelum makes a lot of sense. Um, I I I'm in a very similar boat to you. I didn't think there was anything necessarily wrong with Kelvin's performance last night. It's just that Robert was so good. It does yeah, make, Bob
1: Bobby looked phenomenal last night. It does. That, make, that was like I, I think the best he's ever looked.
0: It does make me feel a little bit silly because when it was supposed to fight at two thirty four, I picked Kelvin to win. So I feel a little bit silly for making that prediction now. Uh, we've got to make sure our predictions are right for this one, though. It is time for the first of our three title fights on this main card, and we're going to the women's flyweight division. Valentina Shevchenko makes the fifth defense of her belt up against Jessica Andrade, the former strawweight champion. Before we actually get onto the main fight itself, though, I want to talk a little bit about the women's flyweight division because this division has been largely maligned for a long, long time by a lot of fans. And yet here we are with a really compelling matchup with Andrade moving up. Obviously, she got that fantastic win in the first round up against Caitlin Jukasian. Are we starting to see the women's flyweight division finally come to the fore?
1: I hope so. And I think this this matchup will will tell us a lot. You know, there's there's definitely without question, Shevchenko's been a dominant force. You know, she's arguably one of the best pound for pound fighters in women's MMA history, but even in the UFC. And, you know, in terms of, like, where you'd rank her in the pound-for-pound conversation, she is probably in the lower tier for me, uh, just because I think she's, you know, in terms of the competition, yes, she's run through her opponents, but since Nunes, like, she hasn't really faced a fighter that's going to pressure her, a fighter that's going to be strong, probably stronger than her, and I think Jessica Andrade presents a lot of those uh, issues potentially. So I actually kind of like Andrage, and we can get into it a little bit more. But I think this is this is an interesting fight because where Shevchenko's obviously the more technical striker, she's not going to throw nearly as much volume. And we know Andrage is going to move forward and pressure her and maybe land something heavy, maybe out wrestle her. So it just makes for a really interesting matchup. I think the line is a little bit wide here.
0: Do you, agree with, um, do you agree with Jessica Andrade getting the title fight? Because as good as she was, obviously, on a run as a strawweight fighter, there are people out there who think, hey, she's only fought in this weight class once. That shot should go to somebody who's been in the division for a long time and built a longer winning streak. Where, where do you personally stand on that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely get it from a fighter's perspective. If you've been in that division, it's like, Oh, you're going to give her a title shot after one win over Caitlin Chikagian, which wasn't even that like, it was impressive the way she won, but you know, I don't, I don't rate Chikagian all that high myself, but, uh, but I actually am in the camp that give her the title shot because like you mentioned that this division has been pretty boring, you know, Jennifer Maya, You know, you're giving her these people that she's just going to run through. And Maya actually looked a lot better than I expected her to look. Um, But, you know, just all the people that she's beaten on this run, it's like, you know, she's minus a thousand in a lot of these matchups. Like, we're not expecting them to be close. At least Andrade is going to make this a fun fight, a fight that fans want to see. Like, nobody wants to see Shevchenko fight these girls like Jessica I and Jennifer Maya. Like... It's nothing against them, but it's like she's going to dominate them. So at least this fight, she might dominate Andrade. But at least stylistically speaking, I think it's interesting. And I think that's that's what the UFC is kind of going after. They know this is a fight that will capture fans' attention at the very least.
0: Certainly so. And I totally agree, agree with you when it comes to Andrade as well. I think stylistically, she has a lot of traits to her game, which can cause Shevchenko a lot of problems because... She is, so, she, she is almost reliant on forward pressure. Everything that she does, it's powerful left hook. I heard one person describe her as a mini Vandalet Silver. and you can see that in the way she fights. just pressing forward, big, wild swinging hooks, tries to engage against the clinch, and if she does clinch up with you, you're going for a ride. And and Chukasian was massive compared to Jessica Andrade. And you saw the way that Andrade was just chucking her around even before she got that liver shot knockout. So, Shevchenko has a lot on her plate, in my opinion, here. And it's going to come down to how good her footwork is, how much her movement is. And if she's able to get those right, I think she's able to do what she normally does. But if Antaraj is able to get that clinch and maybe land some of those big shots, we could see Shevchenko on the back foot a bit.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that's what's fun about this matchup is, like, at, at least we know Andrade is going to try to pressure her. It might not work, but we know she's at least going to go for it. And that's more than we can say for some of these other fighters that she's fought in her during her win streak here. Um, so it's just one of those things where I think Andrade at least makes it a little bit interesting early on. If she doesn't get the finish early or doesn't have big moments or have any success early then I think Shevchenko really starts to dominate as the fight goes on. Um, you know, Andraj probably has worse cardio here, especially if we think she she really goes for it in the first round. So I think Shevchenko, as the rounds go on, probably looks like a big favorite. Um, but again, I, I think it's going to be dicey in that, that first five or six minutes.
0: One of the big things as well but with Andraj carrying so much power, I think part of the reason why Shevchenko has been so much more willing to grapple as a flyweight is because she's fighting girls that maybe don't carry that same sort of oomph in the way that someone like a Nunez or a Holly Holm was able to as a bantamweight. So she was able to engage and take down and go for these trips. And is going to neutralize that. So we could see more of the old school Shevchenko staying on the outside, almost point fighting to an extent.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. And that's something that I think we... We kind of alluded to is that brute strength is is going to play more in a division like this than it will at, at say like you know light heavyweight where everybody's strong and heavyweight where everybody's strong. A division like this, you know, Jessica Andrade even moving up a weight class and being a smaller, shorter fighter, couple inch reach disadvantage, she has that brute strength. And so it's, it's definitely interesting because I don't think Shevchenko is going to be able to bully her when it comes to the wrestling, unless Andrade gets gassed out. Maybe Shevchenko does later. But like you, I think we see more of a, a, a tactician approach from
0: Shevchenko. At the moment, the betting odds for this one have Shevchenko as a minus 400 favorite. You can get Andrade plus 300. What's interesting for me is we always do polls on the main channel, uh, looking at every single title fight that we have the week before. I was very interested to see that Andrade only has 5% of people picking her to win this fight. And when you bear in mind some of the other contenders to Shevchenko, that's lower than Jessica Rye, that's lower than Caitlin Chukasian, that's lower than Felicia Spencer for her title fight in February division. Are we getting a lot of people here just writing up Andrade just because of Shevchenko's name?
1: I think so. Like, I think like we were talking about the moving up in weight class. Like it's funny, only five, five percent people give her a chance to win. But like based on the betting odds, she's what? Like she's got like a 20 percent implied probability. So it's like it it seems a little biased to be saying she's like a 95 percent to win. Um, But but yeah, I mean, I think we've already kind of laid out reasons why I would be cautious about saying she's that big of a favorite. Um, but but yeah, I think that that probably plays into it. People are just like, "Oh, Shevchenko's the the goat or the female goat, and uh, she's probably just going to dominate here." Andrade doesn't deserve a title shot, whatever whatever the reasons may be. I think that might be playing into it. But yeah, I like the dog. Give me Andrade. I'm.
0: I'll be honest. I normally I go with my logic when it comes to predicting title fights, but more, like once every ten or so fights. I go on my gut. And something tells me that Andrade is going to win this. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's fairly one-sided. Either And now wrestling clinch fest, where she just keeps chucking Shevchenko down, or she does land that big knockout punch. There's just something in my gut that says Andrade has got a very good chance of winning this fight, especially in those first two rounds.
1: All right. So what you're telling me is take out a loan and bet the house on Andrade round one. And if it loses, you will fully insure me because your gut told me that Andrade is winning this
0: fight. Is that correct? Not BJ Penn, no. What I'm saying is <laughs> if you've got an extra $5 or something, it's worth a cheeky punt on Andrade in the first two rounds. There you go. I love it. Yeah. It's a very intriguing fight, though, and it's the first time for a long time that we've had Shevchenko in a fascinating fight. Well, probably since what, since the Joanna fight. It's the first real compelling Shevchenko match.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that's why it, it's something that... The, I think that's why the UFC booked it, right? Like, I think they know that this is going to be more fun than previous matchups were. And they think that Andrade could make it interesting just like we do. So I'm excited to watch it play out. Hopefully we're right and Andrade at least goes for it here and makes it interesting um but if not then you know i think shevchenko probably takes over late but uh i think at plus 300
0: or plus 310 it's worth a shot to find out and is the winner of this one face uh, the murphy coldwood winner
1: i don't know i guess so um i don't know what i would do with this division honestly i haven't really thought about it too much i haven't uh looked past this matchup much but i guess it would Kind of depend on who wins i think but i don't know that could be wrong
0: yeah because i bring this up because we're obviously going to be talking about the core main and the winner of this core main could we very well have a factor on the next flyweight defense it is now time for us to talk about the women's strawweight division the title fight a fight that a lot of people are considering one of the most eagerly anticipated women's fights for a long long time Sean Wei Li is back in action for the first time since that epic match with Joanna Yun-Jacek back at UFC 248. And she's taking on the person who beat Joanna twice in the space of six months, Rose Nariunis. Now, this is a fight which obviously very eagerly anticipated even before the past few weeks. And now it's become a almost sort of like a Cold War grudge match with some of the comments that Rose has made over the past weeks, which has just helped add to the hype.
1: Yeah, this is one I'm I'm very excited about. This is my most anticipated matchup of the entire card. I think this is a lot more intriguing than the main event, which we'll get to next. Um, but you mentioned it. You know, they, these are two fighters that I'm. I, I love watching them fight. I love watching them go to work, and I think this is a fun matchup. I think Wiley Zhang is is remarkable. Like 21 fight win streak. Like she's just look dominant in most of her matchups that last fight against Joanna, i know it was a split decision i watched it a couple times i don't think it was a split decision in my opinion i don't i think it should have been unanimous obviously Joanna looked good at times too she landed a ton of strikes herself that was like arguably one of the best fights in not just women's mma history but like ever that fight was amazing. So I'll never get bored of re-watching that fight. Um, but yeah, Wiley is just so technical on the feet. She's got fast hands. She'll throw in high volume, lands over six significant strikes per minute, and she carries a ton of power for this division. And I think that's kind of a differentiator here against Rose, who is also technical, who has probably a more diverse skill set when it comes to her striking. But I think Wiley's going to carry more power I think Wiley, when in, when she's able to close distance, I think she's going to have much more success in the pocket, and I think she's going to land the heavier blows. So I really favor Zhang when it comes to how I think the fight plays out. I think if, if Nama Yunus can maintain distance and you know fight fight at range and without you know letting Zhang close in and get into. Um, get into her range then I think she could have some success and obviously I think Nami Yunus is the more dangerous submission grappler but it's just one of those things where I think if Rose doesn't have even a little bit of success early I think she might get into her head a little bit and that's a little bit narrative based um but even aside from that I think Zhang is just Stylistically speaking, I think she has more advantages here, and I think she probably knocks out Rose or goes to decision and looks pretty dominant doing so. So give me Wiley Zhang. Um I haven't bet the fight yet, but uh definitely considering uh laying the juice on Wiley Zhang. So what are you thinking
0: in this matchup? At the moment, John Wei Li, minus 185. You can get Nami Yunus plus 150. Um when we put the poll out for the mid-channel, they had it at 64% in favor of Whirly, which is where I personally stood, I'd maybe go 60-40. Um, I think, again, this is such a compelling matchup in term mainly because of the stylistic thing, because we've seen, as you mentioned before, Whaley being such a powerful striker, good work inside the pocket. We saw when she fought Andrade, just the way she was peppering her with like knees and elbows. And Jessica Andrade, as well, durable as hell, can take a massive shot. And she just seemed unable to handle what Whaley was throwing back at her. There are some concerns I do have with Whaley. Um, I think that she sometimes relies on being the bigger fighter in a lot of her fights, tries to bully her opponents a bit. And also as well, again, you can't maybe read too much into the regional scene and some of the early UFC fights, but I've seen fighters far less skilled than Rose cause Whaley problems. I just watched a fight, I think it was in Kunlun Fighting Championships. She fought a Brazilian girl called Marilia Santos, and Santos rocked her pretty bad in that first round. Whaley obviously came back to get the win. And even in the UFC debut, right at the end of the first round, Danielle Taylor, not even in the UFC anymore, tracks Whaley, and you can see Whaley wobbling as she goes back to her stool. And I saw an interview with Jessica Andrade, she said Rose carries a lot of power. She's quite deceptively strong as a puncher. So while I favour you in terms of Whaley being the favourite deservedly, you can't write off Rose. And you can't write off Rose, especially in that first round, when Rose looks absolutely amazing, as we saw against Jessica Andrade twice in a row. The first round, the first time she fought Rose, USC 237. I thought that was the best performance I have ever seen from Rose Namajunas when she fought Andrade, first time.
1: Yeah, I I can't argue with that. She looked great. Um, Obviously, you know, it didn't end well for her with the... uh... The knockout slam but uh rebounded nicely and it's looked good since then it's just uh it, it just comes down to how I see the matchup playing out and I think Zhang gets into uh you know her boxing range and I think she she finds pretty big success there I don't think Nami Yunus is willing to go to war with her mm. like Joanna did in that type of fight I strongly mm. favor Wiley Zhang so that that's kind of how I lean even though you know like you said you can never write off Thug Rose, like, she's great. I love watching her. Um, She's very technical. Like I said, I think she's more diverse on the feet, um, but it's just one of those things where I keep going back to how does this fight play out, and I just keep seeing, you know, Wiley pressuring her and Rose just folding a little bit and Wiley landing the bigger shots and landing in more volume. And even though I think she'll probably get hit a little bit, I think she's shown, you know, despite being rocked a couple times, like you said, She's shown to be very durable as well. So, um, so yeah, I like the favorite in this
0: matchup. Uh, that's my take on it. Good point to mention uh, Ioana being willing to turn it into a war because I don't think that's something that Rose is as willing to do. I mean, she did it to an extent when she fought uh, Ioana the second time. That turned into a bit of a war, especially in those later rounds. But, no, on the whole, I think that Whaley is going to be more willing to turn this into a dirty brawl in a way that Rose isn't going to like. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I would be interested to see what happens if it does go to the ground, though, because we do we have seen that Rose does have a very good submission game, but we also saw Wiley what she did to Jessica Aguilar, so she's not afraid to um, get down and dirty if it if it's, uh does if she does get up on her back.
1: Yeah, I think I think Rose is definitely more dangerous on the map, but Wiley, it's not like she's dead if it goes to the ground. It's not like the second Nami Yunus throws up. A submission attempt that she's just going to tap. So it's one of those things where I think Rose can threaten a little bit there, but I don't know how much uh, success she'll have with actually pulling it off. But we'll see.
0: What is going to be interesting to see is what happens in terms of who wins this fight next, because a lot of people are overlooking this when it comes to Lee. If Whaley wins this fight, she'll have beaten three of the four strawweight champions. Carla Esparza would be the only one who she hasn't fought. And there's a good chance that Carla could be next in line for the title fight. But she's going to be taking on Yan Xiaonan. Could we maybe be looking at Weili building a sort of dynasty as the strawweight champion? Or, especially if Shevchenko wins her flyweight fight, do they maybe try and do Whaley as a double champ and book her versus Shevchenko? Or even Andrade, because he could sell the idea of it being a rematch in a new weight class.
1: Yeah, a lot of lot of fun possibilities you bring up. And and to her credit, like you said, she's she's fought like the best of the best that this division has to offer. And if she does the same against Rose on Saturday, then what does she who does she fight next? Because I mean, I'm not interested in her fighting Carla Esparza. I think she dominates her. Um, so we'll see. And that's obviously like you said, if Carla takes care of business and gets the title shot. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways you can
0: go with that. Um, but obviously, I'm I'm pretty high on on Wai Li for obvious reasons. And even if uh, even if Carla was to lose that fight and it was Yan Shanou who won, Li versus Yan, China versus China, fight night Shanghai, come I don't know 2022. Yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome. I'm sure the energy would be nothing short of electric for that matchup. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this fight. This, in my opinion, it could very well be fight of the year. If we're going to get anything which is going to be close to Whaley versus Juana, it's going to be this fight. Yeah, I agree. It is time now for us to talk about our main event of the evening. And we are going back to UFC 251 for this one because it's a rematch from that main event. Kamara Usman defending the belt once again up against Jorge Masvidal. It's been really interesting to see the narrative of this fight playing out because we all go back to 251. Jorge Masvidal took that fight on six days' notice. He was replacing Gilbert Burns, who was the original headliner. Obviously, he lost that fight by unanimous decision. Bearing in mind what Jorge Masvidal had been doing. He was the BMF. He was coming off the Ben Askren knockout. Six days' notice. He had a lot of fan support behind him. But of course, over the past 12 months, we've seen Jorge maybe lose a lot of those fans with his behaviour away from the octagon. Kamaru Usman winning over a lot of people because of his performance against Gilbert Burns. And if you speak to some of the hardcore fans like I have, like the people who are on social media do shows like this, the impression I get is a lot more hardcore fans are rooting for Kamaru Usman this time around over Jorge. Is that fair to say? I think so.
1: You know, I, like you mentioned last time, it was like he had all that hype. You know, the BMF, you know, he beat Nate Diaz. He knocked out Ben Askren, which aged well, pretty horribly ben, ben after last... <laughs> Yeah. So that didn't age super great, super impressive when, you know, you have YouTubers knocking him out. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's completely fair to say. Coming into that first match of everybody was kind of like, oh, Kamara Usman's boring blah, 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 foot stomps, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Jorge is such a badass. He's going to stuff the takedowns and knock him out. Kamara Usman, nothing short of a dominant performance in that fight. I think this fight, you know, I mentioned I'm more excited for the co-main. I think you are as well. Because I just don't really see this fight playing out much differently despite Jorge coming in with a full training camp. So, yeah, maybe his cardio looks a little bit better. He did defend, I think, a an early couple takedowns, he defended pretty well, but then obviously as Camaro held him up against the cage and wore on him and, and out muscled him, you know, as the cardio started to go, that's when the takedowns came much, much easier. And in terms of cardio, we know Usman's going to bring it for 25 minutes, excellent cardio um, where, where this fight, I, I think it differs from the Gilbert Burns matchup is we saw Usman rely on the standup, which he has done at times, But he's very smart with the game plans. Like against Colby Covington, okay, Colby's a great wrestler. I think I'm a better striker. I have a really strong jab. You hear Trevor Whitman in his corner, you're a champion because you fight behind that jab. So he stayed striking and he looked good and he beat Colby striking. He did the same thing with Gilbert Burns and yeah, Burns caught him early with a a heavy shot and that's pretty much Burns' only win condition there um, that a lot of people expected and he almost got there. But then as... Usman recovered, and as the fight went on, he looked dominant. And I think that's just what happens here, Um, except I don't think he relies on the striking um, as opposed to those two matchups because he knows that he has that massive wrestling advantage. Took him down five times in the last fight. Um, I think he's going to hold him up against the cage, wear on him again. Maybe we'll see those foot stomps again. I'm sure we will. And uh, I, I think he takes him down, and I think he he gets little resistance, and he probably finds a finish on the mat this time. So give me Kamaru Usman. I think he's the rightful favorite. I'm, I, I'm not even that excited about this fight. I think he dominates here.
0: I do have to say I have to give the UFC and Usman a lot of credit for really embracing the foot stomps meme. Because I watched one of the promo packages where he did like a flashback to the 251 fight. And this is a super slow-mo of Usman foot-stomping Masvidal. So they're definitely embracing the meme of that. But no, I, t- I agree with you in terms of Usman striking. I think that he realized with the Gilbert Burns fight that he needed to up this side of his game. If there was area which Usman maybe wasn't as comfortable in... It was his striking ability. And we saw that against Colby. He barely got past that Colby fight. It went to a final round. You can make an argument that Colby was maybe winning the fight going into that final round. Since he went to Colorado to train with Whitman, he's closed up that side of his game. And he is now an all-round fighter. He's more than just a wrestler. But I agree with you. I think for this fight, he saw he had so much success against Masvidal first time around by pinning him up against the fence, worming him down, using his wrestling. I think he's going to do the same thing again. What do you think's the biggest reason why the UFC have chosen to give Masvidal this title fight? Is it is it because they believe the idea it could be more competitive with a full training camp? Is it a guy from Florida fighting in Jacksonville, Florida? Is it... Because he's the biggest star in the division, and they want to try and make some money. Endeavor obviously have taken over the UFC. Want to try and get some of that, some of that money back. What do you think's the biggest factor in Masvidal getting the fight?
1: Yeah, it's tough to say. I think you hit on the most compelling part you know yeah obviously Jorge is like well I didn't have a full training camp and I took it on short notice so maybe the UFC feels like they owe him something like okay well prove it to us we'll give you something um, but I think the more interesting part that you hit on is you know he is uh street Jesus from from Florida right so so having the first fight card back with fans obviously they're gonna be a pro you would think a pro Masvidal crowd for the most part, despite the stuff outside of the octagon, I think he's going to have a lot of people cheering for him. So maybe that's what the UFC was thinking. Um, but I also think part of it was the UFC is like, okay, well, what do we do with Usman now? I think a lot of people would want to see the Colby Covington rematch. Obviously that didn't materialize. But other than that, like who, who do you give him other than Jorge in this mat in this division? If, if you can't get the Colby fight, Then who else is there? At least Jorge, you can make the argument. Oh, he took the fight on short notice the first time, and he's from Florida, so he'll sell tickets, so we could sell that fight. Other than that, you know, if you can't get the Colby rematch, then what do you do with him? So I think that was kind of played into it, is like, um, you know, just a a combination of those factors is probably what did it. But uh, but like I said before, I don't I don't think it really changes the result. I think Usman looks dominant here.
0: If Masvidal is to have a chance in this fight, because bookmakers don't really give him much of a chance, if you look at the polls on the YouTube page, 81% pick Kamara Usman to win this one. If Masvidal is going to get this done, what's his best way to do it?
1: I think it's got to be an early knockout. You know, he's he's obviously done that before. You know, we talked about the Ben Askren thing. Um, I don't think Usman's going to, like, immediately shoot for like a telegraphed single leg and eat a knee. So I don't think that's super likely, but I I'm not completely discrediting his power. You know, we talked about how Gilbert Burns hit him with a big shot or two early on. That's certainly within the cards. It is MMA. Anything can happen, but I just think Usman goes back to that wrestling here where he, he takes the path of least resistance. I think if Masvidal, has any success, It's going to be he stuffs an early takedown, desperately stuffs the takedowns, and hurts him on the feet somehow. But again, I just don't think it's super likely.
0: I'm in the same boat as you. I think Masvidal's best chance is to, if he's going to get it done, it's going to be an early knockout. I don't see any other result from that. And that doesn't really bode well for Masvidal either because outside of the Ben Askren fight, I've always known him for being quite a slow starter. We saw it against Darren Till. Darren Till dropped him. Um, early in the first round in their fight. So it's not really Masvidal's nature to start blindingly fast, but it's something he needs to do if he wants to try and get this win. We're both in the same boat. We both agree that Usman's going to win this one. How do you think he gets it done? Unanimous decision, 50-45?
1: I think probably decision or submission. I lean submission just because You know, watching... And yeah, Masvidal's cardio might look a little bit better, but watching the first fight, you know, a a gassed-out Masvidal who... I I know typically he has good submission defense, but watching Usman just dominate him on the mat, I wouldn't be shocked to see him find a submission this time around.
0: And you sort of touched on it earlier. If Usman gets through this, the number of contenders for that belt gets smaller and smaller. You're looking at a Colby Covington fight, Leon Edwards if he gets through Nate Diaz, Wonderboy's still in the mix. But you're really stretching it in terms of viable contenders. Are, are we seeing a possibly like a dynasty reign here? Are we seeing Kamaru Usman maybe being one of those guys like, like dare I say, George St-Pierre who racks up eight or nine title defences?
1: I mean, it's it's definitely possible. He is that good. Like I'm, I'm not even going to front like he is, he is very good. And he's someone that I put a lot of respect, um, you know, in a lot of these matchups and he hasn't really steered me wrong yet. And I, I really don't think he's going to just not in this matchup. I think Colby is the most interesting matchup for him. And we saw how close that fight was the first time around. I think that's the fight to make. I think that's the fight that the fans want to see, Um, but you know, who knows if that's going to happen or not. You mentioned Leon Edwards, if he takes care of business and looks good, I think those are really the only two names that you can even put in the discussion at this point after, um, you know, assuming Usman beats Masvidal on Saturday. I think it's gotta be one of those two. I think the UFC would want to do Colby just because they know that that would sell a lot better. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe Hamza Jamaya finally comes back and and changes things up, and and they throw
0: his his name in the hat. Who knows? Um, Hamza is the biggest wild card in that division. It's simply because we there's still a lot that we don't know about this guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I tend to lean in the camp that you know show show me show he's got to show me he can do that against the top tier of this division because. Taking care of the uh, UPS drivers and and bus drivers that he's taken care of up to this point is is not super impressive to me. So, um, so yes, I I like him. I think he's got a good skill set. I think he has a future. But, you know, seeing some people say he's a future, you know, title challenger, you know, he's got to show me that first.
0: On the whole, though, UFC 261, this could very well be a compelling fight card.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think top to bottom, uh, you know, like we mentioned, the prelims, there's a couple fun matchups, but there's also a couple matchups that were like, uh, you know, let's get through this fight and then we can move on to the good stuff. Uh, but I think in terms of the actual pay-per-view itself, um, it, it's very strong. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I know you are as well. I'm sure a lot of other people are. It's going to be it's going to be fun. I think there's going to be some extra buzz this week just with fans back with three title fights, uh, all fighters that people want to see fight. So it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm definitely excited to uh, see how it plays out.
0: I certainly am as well. And I'm sure your team are, uh, are going to be uh, doing their bit to try and get everyone hyped for that one. Another reminder for anybody who wants to check out more of your stuff, where's the best place to find it?
1: Yeah, as always, at John Kelly DFS on Twitter uh, and over at FTNDaily.com, FTNBets.com. And each week we actually put our main card breakdown on iTunes at the Undisputed MMA Show presented by the ftn network me and jonah Schiffman. um but for for pay-per-view cards we typically release the entire show usually we just do the main card uh for free and keep the prelims behind the paywall but usually for for pay-per-view we'll put the entire video entire podcast um up on itunes and youtube uh so
0: be sure to check that out on twitter if you want certainly so and from my own personal perspective want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been watching the show uh please like share subscribe Uh, We're trying to get INC Live to be a more integral part of the INC experience. Hoping to get some fighter interviews coming up over the next couple of months. We'll still try and do all of the uh, uh, post-fight breakdowns. Um, I've got one, hopefully, which is going to be out for Kelvin Gastelum up against Robert Whitaker. So please stay tuned to that one. Um, Until then, though, John, uh, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, We're going to be talking about UFC 262 uh, the next time that we do a preview show on that one. Again, another compelling matchup. Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler.
1: Yeah, that's that's another one. I'm, I'm sure we'll, uh, in the coming weeks, I'm sure we'll discuss it
0: back and forth on Twitter or, or whatever. But uh, but yeah, that's another really fun one I'm excited about. Uh, that will be coming at another time. For now, though, it is the end of the UFC 261 show. My name's been Carl Bemich. That's been John Kelly. yeah that's when you usually say goodbye jim
1: oh sorry i i didn't know if you i didn't know if you closed the stream but but yeah thanks carl i appreciate you having me on um always fun to talk fights especially when we got a fun card like this one to talk about it's always
0: good to hear your perspective so i appreciate it and good luck on saturday i'll let you go and see to your dog but now though this has been the inc thank you for watching enjoy usc 261